0: All right, I got a few questions for you guys. First one is, with a show of hands, how have any of you ever in your life wanted to be rich? Come on, don't be ashamed. Pretty much everybody, right? How about, have any of you ever wanted to have servants? You know, someone you could be like, yeah, go do my laundry, go cook, come on. I know, I mean, a lot of people. What about being in charge of people? Have ever of you wanted to be a ruler of some sort. Man, Dylan, you're like, pretty much 99.999 repeating Americans have wanted all of this at some time in their life. Now, I want to dig a little bit deeper. For those of you who are older, how many of you would have wanted this right after you got out of high school or college? Or for the youth, how many of you want it now? Uh-huh. <laughs> Any adults? Maybe? Yeah? All right. I want you guys to take this thought, being rich, having servants, being in charge of people, and I want you, the adults, to think of yourself as a younger version of you, and the youth to think of yourself as you are now. And I want you to roll back about 2,000 years into the time of Jesus. We need to take this idea, and I want to apply it to the world of Israel, not, not just though as the geography of Israel, or as the nation of Israel, but the Israelite people in particular. To get an idea of what these three things would have meant to the Israelites, we really need to look at them individually. First of all, we're going to look at being rich. What did that mean to the Israelites? Well, around the time of Jesus, in order to be rich, you generally had to be involved in one or multiple of the things that I'm about to mention. The first is you would have had to have been a Roman politician. In our case, a very important person would have been the governor are the local military commander. These were positions that only Roman citizens were given. Regardless of how the average citizen felt about the government officials over them, they still had to pay taxes. They still had to um, give their money. This made the officials extremely wealthy. I mean, these guys were rolling in money. Another way someone would have been rich would have been to, to have been a tax collector. In this period of time, tax collectors... They weren't always particularly honest about how, many tax, how much taxes uh, the Roman government wanted. So, these tax collectors decided to be greedy, inflated the tax a little bit, you know, cut a little off the top for themselves. This would be like nowadays, having a government official come to your door, for those of us who pay taxes, and saying, we want 5% more, and oh, that 5% more is just going to me members of the Sanhedrin also, the priests, were also pretty generally wealthy just because of the temple tax that was that foreigners and Israelites had to pay. It was a huge tax. Lastly, you could be either a merchant or a very wealthy landowner, having lots of land, um, and I'll get into that a little bit later. There was, though, an exception to these. Sometimes people could just all of a sudden, out of the blue, seem to be very wealthy. This was kind of an oddity. They came out of nowhere. But usually it happened because of their high intellect or or they had lots of wisdom. Now the Jews had a very special way of naming these people. And they would call them the phrase, blessed by God. That means, according to the Jews, God must like this person so much that he blesses them beyond their wildest imagination. Now that we've looked at the term rich, how about the term ruler? I'm going to use the same approach we just did and we're going to give it a go. The way to be a ruler, first of all, just like before, was to be a Roman governor, a Roman official of some sort. This required, again, you had to be a Roman citizen. And secondly, in order to be in a position of rulership like this, you had to have known the emperor through politics or personal acquaintance. No Israelite would have fit those requirements. Like before, though there could be some exceptions. In the Israelite community, someone who is a Levite, that is a priest, um, could be considered a ruler if they were one of the higher-ranking priests. Very rarely, though, very, very rarely, men would be given leadership not by a vote, but rather by kind of the citizens of a town pushing them to become a leader. This would happen in the case of, let's say, a Roman official is abusing their power or there's a dispute between water with another village, whatever. These people would be pushing the leadership to solve the problem. Now we move on to servants. Everyone would like to have servants. But in order for a person to have servants in this time, they had to have fallen into a few categories. First, they'd have to be rich. Because, you know, pay the servants, you got servants. It could also mean that a political office was held. Because in Roman society, whenever a political office was held, you had servants automatically. But then again, it could also mean that you're a wealthy landowner and you needed to hire greenskeepers to take care of it and to farm on it. And in turn, these people would end up paying you rent, basically, and giving you a share of whatever it is that you were growing on the land. Now that we have an idea of what it required to be rich what it required to be a ruler, and what it required to have servants, we've got to kind of put them together to set up for where we're going. First of all, being rich and being a ruler tie in extremely well in the ancient Israelite times. Because if someone became rich, their influence became greater, their power became greater, therefore they become a ruler. Having servants also ties with being rich and being a ruler, because in order to have servants, you generally were rich or were a ruler. So being rich got you servants, being a ruler got you servants. Both of them are feeding into each other right now. Being a ruler, though, generally meant you were so rich that, you know, you just had the money. Now for the ordinary Jewish citizen, having one of these traits, no less than all of them, was nearly impossible. There was no way, no way. But in the biblical text, in Luke 18, verse 18a, it says, And a ruler asked him, Now, this ruler was an Israelite, so in order to fully understand what this meant, we need to look at his position and his authority and what it would have meant to the Israelites. Remember a few minutes ago I I said the phrase, blessed by God? This man, this rich young ruler, would have been the ultimate example of being blessed by God. Being blessed by God was something of an honor to the Israelites in order to be called this you must be very pleasing to God, and the pleasing of God was evidenced by being rich, having servants, ruling over others, etc. It meant that either the person who was blessed by God, they themselves had done something that had made God pleased to give them bless, or their one of their ancestors or family members had done something. Think of this concept working as the same way as generational punishment did, whereas if one ancestor did something wrong the punishment would be paid out over several generations until it was paid back. This is the same way the the Jews viewed being blessed by God. Now in the Israelites' eyes, those who were blessed by God were of a higher social status. For I mean, if God's pleased with them, why shouldn't we as people elevate them? I want you guys for a moment to think about the praise and honor Michael Phelps is getting right now. I mean, he's broken the record for the amount of Olympic medals one person has received in a single Olympics. He's also broken the, amount, the record of the amount of medals someone's received over multiple Olympics. In fact, he has more medals than some countries do, which is pretty intense. Now, because of Phelps' accomplishment, we're praising him as a society for what he's done. Now, this is the same type of praise someone who's, who was blessed by God would be receiving from the Israelites. Now, within the rich young ruler's town, his name would have been known and everyone in the town would recognize him just because of the fact that he was blessed by God. His society and culture would have reinforced that because he was blessed by God through riches and leadership, then that means he had a one-way ticket to heaven. No questions asked. He dies, he's going straight to heaven. He was guaranteed to get in. I mean, he was pleasing to God on earth, so why wouldn't God... Bring him right into heaven. Another interesting thing about the rich young ruler is that since he was elevated to the status of being blessed by God in in his culture so early in his life, and I only say that because he's called young, that as he became older, he would become even more of an authority to the Israelites around him, to to the people in his town and ultimately further out. To the Israelites, as a person got older, they became wiser and in their eyes the rich young ruler would have been extremely wise at a young age which means that as he became older people would travel would have traveled far distances to get his wisdom kinda of like with Solomon the rich young ruler also probably would have excelled at the Israelite rabbinical school I and mean, this this was a um, tough schooling system compared to ours it had four levels it covered what's our Old Testament the first level would have been a study of the basic laws, your Ten Commandments, and some of the basic writings of the Israelite people. The second level would have been a study of all the Israelite laws and a majority of the texts. The third level, being one of the hardest, would have been a study of the priestly laws. These were the really intense, can't break or else you, you're not a priest anymore kind of deal. The fourth and final level, though, would have been sort of an internship with a rabbi. Due to the way the rich young ruler though answers the question that Jesus asks of him is whether he follows the laws in the Ten Commandments and that's found in Luke eighteen twenty to 21 where Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. And then the rich young ruler responds, all these I have kept since I was a boy. It can be assumed that the rich young ruler would have made it pretty far into the schooling system. And most scholars think he probably made it to the third and was even invited to do the fourth section. But because of a trade or something, he didn't do the uh, rabbinical part. Now, as the rich young ruler was growing up, it can be assumed that Jesus would have been growing up around the same time. Jesus as a young boy would have been considered very special due to the fact that he was discussing scriptures with biblical, uh, at that point, biblical law uh, teachers in the temple. Now, just like the young ruler, he probably would have excelled greatly in the rabbinical school. We do know, though, that Jesus wouldn't have done the rabbi part because he was taught woodworking by his father. There was nothing to the Israelites very extraordinary about Jesus except his great knowledge of Scripture as a young boy. What's interesting when you compare Jesus to the rich young ruler, though, is Jesus would not be considered blessed by God to the Israelites. He was not in that category. Now, as Jesus grew older, you know, he began doing his public ministry, the miracles. These miracles began to give Jesus authority within the Israelite community as a prophet. And they drew this conclusion because Jesus was like a lot of Old Testament prophets. Now, as Jesus' miracles became more and more elaborate and special, his name started to be circulated around Israel. The rich young ruler almost would have certainly known about Jesus, especially when it came to Jesus' public ministry. Some major miracles that he probably would have known about are the great many healings that Jesus did, the driving out of evil spirits from people, the control over the weather and the water, the raising of people from the dead, and most definitely the feeding of the 5,000. Although a side note on that, that's only 5,000 men. If you add one woman and one child to every man, you're looking at closer to 15,000 people being fed so the ruler would have heard about Jesus' public uh, teachings and he would have known about the miracles and possibly some of the teachings that Jesus shared with his disciples most of the things that Jesus did would have been very common knowledge to Israelites all over the entirety of Israel Jesus had such a following about him that news of him spread like wildfire over Israel like everyone knew what was going on what Jesus was doing at this point, even the, the naming, some people began to call Jesus the Messiah. He, he was starting to be called that by many Jews and Israelites. Now, Jesus was definitely a man the rich young ruler would have wanted to meet because if, the, if Jesus is a prophet sent by God or the Messiah, then that must mean that Jesus can confirm that the rich young ruler is going into heaven because, I mean, he is blessed by God. He wanted to know that, you know, this is my one-way ticket. Thanks for confirming it. I'm out of here. The meeting between them, to the rich young ruler, he thought it was going to be a demonstration that his culture was right, his religion was right. This was going to be his way to heaven. Whereas to Jesus, it was going to be a demonstration of how the Israelites had messed up so badly. The area of scripture that we're going to be focusing on between the meeting of the rich young ruler and Jesus is found in Luke 18:18 to 30. But I want to take it a little bit deeper here. I want to take it a little bit closer and look at verses 18 to 23. Now this bit of scripture though, I really don't think it should have the effect. It should on us when we just read it. And the reason I say that is because I think you need to understand the ruler's perspective in order to fully get what Jesus is saying. Now, like I mentioned earlier, at this point, I'm going to kind of show you my interpretation of the ruler, from the ruler's perspective, how he would have felt about this dialogue. So, here we go. I heard he was coming to my village, my town. This, this man, this prophet of God, he was coming to share his teachings. But more than that, he, I, I wanted to see him. I, that he was coming was no big deal. I just wanted to confirm my ticket to heaven. I heard the day he arrived, I had some of my servants come in and say, he's here, he's here, he's here, you need to go see him. So I ran out. I'm going through the town. Everyone recognizes me. They know who I'm looking for. They all step aside, let me go up to Jesus. I say, teacher, no response. Rabbi, no response. Jesus, he turns around and he looks at me. This man that I've been waiting for is finally in front of me. I can actually ask him what I've been wanting to know. With all my pride, I say, Jesus. What is the way into eternal life? I'm expecting his response. I'm expecting him to say, well, you know, you've done well. You've followed my laws and commandments. You're good to go. You got your ticket to heaven. And he almost led me there to believe that I was right because he asked me if I kept the law and the commandments. And not lying, I said, of course I have. I mean, you're a prophet of God. You've got to know that I've kept the laws and commandments. I mean, in my culture says I'm blessed by God, and I'm rich, and... I mean, it's pretty obvious I've kept these commandments. But what followed is something that I wasn't expecting. What What followed was something that had shaken me from the day I heard it. He looked at me and said, you lack one thing. Wait, 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 Jesus. I lack something? I mean, come on. I, I've... I mean, you're obviously God is happy with me. Uh, you've given me all this money. You've given me all this power. I mean, I'm doing what you want me to do. I'm, I'm blessed by you. I don't understand. What do I lack? What do I lack? And his response was um, something unexpected. He told me I needed to give away all my wealth and give it to the poor. Give away all my wealth. You mean what shows I'm blessed by God, what shows I'm going to heaven, you want me to give it all away? What? Why? And then his response was, then come follow me. So I had to do this in order to follow him. But I couldn't. I mean, my my religious upbringing told me that Because of everything I was, I was getting into heaven. I I had eternal life. And and then Jesus comes along and says, no, you must give it all up. I mean, what am I going to, I've got my culture that I've known my whole life, and then this man comes along and tells me, no, that's not right. What am I going to do? I don't know. I want to ask you guys something. What did you just see? What did you notice about the rich young ruler? And what happened to him? I mean, it's pretty obvious. The rich, the rich young ruler at first was very arrogant. I mean, he he knew where Jesus was coming. He, he just knew Jesus was going to say, you're doing the right thing. You're going to heaven. You got eternal life. No biggie. But Jesus threw an atom bomb at this guy and telling him he lacks something. Now, when, when the rich young ruler was told that he lacked something, he, he was a little overwhelmed. I mean, it, it just didn't make sense to him that he lacked something. But when he heard what he lacked, it was even, you know, a greater shock. All, all of his stuff, all his money, all his power, all his servants that was what he lacked. Everything he owned he lacked. The struggle this, guy, th- this man faced was between what his religious upbringing, his culture was telling him, was the right way, and what Jesus was telling him was the right way. What's interesting, though, is Jesus, though, didn't end with what the man lacked. He rather gave the man an invitation to follow him. That is, if he gave up everything. Now, what's interesting, though, about the way he extended to the man the invitation to follow Him was the exact same way that He invited all the disciples to follow Him. With a simple, come, follow me. I mean, the choice, though, the rich young ruler made, though, was costly. I mean, he walked away. He didn't didn't care. I mean, he may have cared, but he was so shocked that it just didn't make sense. I want to ask you guys today, though, in your lives, what is God calling you to give up? A better question is, why should you give it up? It all goes back, though, to what the rich young ruler asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus calls us to give up stuff, give up our everything, so that we can enjoy eternal life with him. Now, when all of you became a Christian, you gave your life to Jesus at that point. But the more you give him now, the sweeter your reward's going to be in eternal life. In Luke 18, 23-30, says, it says, When he, he being the rich young ruler, heard this, he became very sad, because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through, an eye, through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with men is possible with God. Peter said, we have left all we had to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age in the age to come eternal life. So the disciples left it all. The rich young ruler didn't. Being a follower of Christ, though, comes with a cost. I mean, Jesus shares that cost with his disciples. If you flip back into Luke 9, Verses 57 to 62. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my Father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Jesus wants nothing less than our giving of our lives to him every day. we got to willingly offer it to him. It can't be something where it's like, you know, I guess I'll do this because Jesus says I have to. It has to be I'm giving this to you. The road of following God's not an easy one, but if we keep our eyes on that goal, the question that the rich man will ask, the reward, eternal life, then giving things up for Jesus will seem very easy. So I want to ask you, what exactly does this giving of everything to God look like? How does it work? To use some examples from the book of Hebrews, where many's been, Abraham. He gave up his position in his household. He was going to be, like he was the heir to everything in his household if he had stayed where he was. But instead, he gave that position up to follow God, whom at that point, he really didn't comprehend God. He really didn't understand God the way we do. But he followed God because of a promise of a son, but more than that, a chance to become a great nation. Moses' parents gave up their child who would have been killed by Pharaoh's men if they had found him. They put Moses in a basket and just kind of let him go. Hoping, praying that somehow God would save their son. Moses himself, being raised in a life of luxury in the Egyptian courts, left it all because God had called him to, to get the Israelites out of Egypt. The Israelite people themselves, even though they had a crummy life in Egypt, they still had food and water every day. They left that guaranteed life and followed a God that they knew about, but mostly they followed because He promised to take care of them and provide for them. They crossed the Red Sea. I mean, that must have been a pretty intense moment. Eventually, they conquered nations just by trusting that God would help them. Now, to go in another example... Not mentioned in Hebrews would be Jonathan. I mean, this guy was the heir to the throne of Israel. He was Saul's son. The the throne would have been his as soon as Saul died. But instead of doing that, he willfully gave his throne to David. Now to go a little bit into the New Testament, the 12 disciples who had very established lives, income, house, everything, they left all of that to follow Jesus just when Jesus simply said, come follow me. Saul of Tarsus, who we later know as Paul, he gave up all of his time and, his, and his, all of his Jewish traditions, completely broke against that to spread the good news of Christianity into the Gentile world, which in turn affects us because we're all Gentiles. And he also wrote most of what is our New Testament. I mean, where would we be without Paul? This New Testament was to guide the churches and the lay down doctrine. You see, whenever someone consistently gives up everything to God and to Jesus. Their lives are blessed by him. And their reward in heaven is even sweeter. This giving up of everything, though, is not just a one-time event in salvation. It's something we must do daily. Daily, we must choose to give it to Jesus. Give it all to Jesus. Daily, we have to make that commitment. But we have to make that commitment because of the final goal, eternal life. Now, to give you all a modern-day example of what that looks like, um, I'm going to go into a little bit about my life. Uh, When I was in high school, I was a competitor in international taekwondo tournaments. Um, I I was born in the USVI, so I contacted the head coach of their taekwondo group that was going to the Olympics to see about going to the Olympics with them. And a date was set up for me to fly down to Brazil, compete in an international tournament and then meet up with the team, fly back to the USVI, and train with them. Two weeks prior to me flying down, I was in my uh, second-degree black belt test, and I broke my lower left leg's small bone, ripped clean in half. I wasn't able to fly to Brazil, but God had other plans. He had made a choice for me there. See, a missions trip was coming up at my church that I knew about, but I was choosing to go to the Olympics wanting to go to the Olympics over going on this missions trip. And I, you know, debated about it, kind of said, no, I don't want to do the missions trip thing because I'd rather go to the Olympics. And God forcefully made that choice for me. Uh, A couple years later in my life, I was attending Florida Atlantic University, studying studying 3D animation. Um, Over the summers, I had a guaranteed internship with a simulation company and I would have had a guaranteed job right when I graduated. Then, though, came a surprise. Two years into my uh, program there, my parents said, hey, we're moving to Georgia. Now, these previous two years, God had consistently said, ministry, 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 and I just kind of said, whatever, whatever, whatever. I'm doing 3D. Um, But God had other plans. After uh, some prayer, and I'll say a lot of prayer, and some information gathering, Atlanta Christian College was kind of presented to me. Now I had a choice. I could either stay at FAU, free ride, zero loans, zero—you know, not paying for books, guaranteed job, guaranteed, well, guaranteed job during the summer, guaranteed job after I graduated, and then a, a high-end um, job at one of the 3D firms. But through uh, some prayer by others and... You know, just a lot of things that happened. I ended up choosing to go to Atlanta Christian College to study ministry. I finally gave in to God and said, you know what? God, you've been wanting me to do ministry for a while, so I'm just going to do it. So, in essence, I, I gave Jesus my entire life again. And that's led to here, me standing here in front of you guys today. So I want to ask you guys, what is your richness? What, what are your servants? What, what, are you ruler, what do you have rulership over? What does does all that mean to you? Why should you even care about anything I've said today? The answer is pretty simple. Every time Jesus is asking you to give something up, there's a good reason for it. For the rich young ruler, who knows? We'd never see him again. For Abraham, Moses, the Israelite people, and David, ultimately it was for the Messiah. Because the Messiah came from the Israelites. For me, it was to wreck... Uh, For the 12 disciples and Paul, it was to bring the church into existence. Without them, we wouldn't have the Gentile church. For me, it was to direct all glory to God and share his message. So I ask you, what is your everything that you need to give to Jesus? And why are you holding it back? Knowing that there's a reason that Jesus is asking you to give it up. Remember, all of this is for our eternal reward in heaven. So I want to leave you with this thought. If you give Jesus everything, every day, where might your life go from here?